Hey, this sermon that we're doing today um, is a difficult one. So I think this is, um, oh, is this Parables 13? Is that what we're on? Um, and uh, I don't, I think this is the last one today. We're going to start a new series next week. Um, I'm calling Cancel Culture. Uh, I thought it was really a cool play on words. We're going to cancel some culture up in church here, man. Some things got to go. Can't be doing that nonsense around here. Anyways, uh, it'll be cool. And uh, But this sermon, I, uh, I knew the moment I read it that I didn't like it. And uh, I told myself, I'll do it next week, next week, next week. Well, here it is. We're at the end of the next weeks, and uh, I can't avoid it. It's important um, that we love all of Scripture, and there are some things that don't uh, we don't like. And it's important that we line our lives up with God's Word. We allow God's Word to read us. And so when something in God's Word makes us uncomfortable, it's probably because something needs to change in you. And this sermon makes me uncomfortable. And with that being said, y'all stand your feet with me. We're going to read Matthew chapter 20. Uh, it's, hopefully this is good for you. It's working on my heart, and uh, I don't fully understand this message yet. So i got to be honest, a lot of times it's like a good one, and I get it. I don't get it all the way. Here we go. Uh, uh, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them this denarius uh, for a day, and he sent them into the vineyard, into his vineyard. About nine o'clock in the morning, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Nothing. Did you get that? They were doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and he found others still standing around. This guy goes out to the marketplace a lot. Um, oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, there you, <laughs> you know all about that. So, so, uh, so standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones he hired and going on to the first. Well, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received a denarius. So when those came in who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Uh, they grumbled. Uh, they, these, uh, were, these who were hired last worked only one hour. And they said, And you have made them equal to us who have, who have borne the burden of work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, my friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Then take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I give you. Don't I have a right to do what I want with my money, or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's pray. Jesus, help 
Amen. I don't like this passage. It goes against a lot of the things um, because it, I don't feel like this is fair, uh, and and it's not fair. And that's all I know. That's what I know. Um, grace is a hard subject for me, and this uh, passage is a lot about grace. Why is grace a hard subject for you, Pastor? I um, I need it, but I don't want it. I want it. But I want, I'd rather earn my forgiveness than receive my forgiveness. I don't like it when people say thank you to me or do good things or they recognize me. It makes me feel really awkward and I don't like it. I'd rather earn my own money than you buy my lunch for me. I, I, I'd rather pay for it. I don't, I don't like Christmas. I don't like gifts. I, it's hard for me to receive. Anyone else ever fall into this category? I don't know why. It just things make me feel uncomfortable when people are a blessing to me. But I want to be a blessing to you. And so when I see this passage, I do feel a lot of things that are unfair. Maybe it's because I'm American at my core. Uh, in the first service, we, we, uh, we blessed uh, Diana, who's uh, going off to the military. She's joining the Marines uh, tomorrow. She's being enlisted. And uh, so today was our last service with Diana. And I, man, it just makes me sad. I'm thankful that I live in the greatest country in the world. I'm thankful that we're free. I'm thankful that we're rich. I'm, thank you that we're, I'm thankful that we're protected. I'm thankful that I have free speech. I'm thankful that today I, I, I am confident that no one is coming to hurt us at church today. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, we live in the greatest country in the world. But this passage is anti-America. Because for as long as I have lived, I have lived under the mentality that you will get what you deserve. You will earn it. If you, if you want a great job, you're going to have to earn it. You have to get, a, get, edu- you have to get that education. You have to put your time in. You know, when, when, uh, when, if you want an allowance or if you want a good job or if you, you want a great woman, you're going to have to earn that great woman. Let me tell you, tell you you're going to work for that. She's, anyway, uh, uh, if, whatever you want that's great, you're going to have to earn it. And a lot of things don't come easy. Good things don't come easy. And so this passage uh, largely is un-American to me. Um, and so what, what it's important, though, is to understand that when Jesus talks in parables, he explained why he talks in parables. He said that thousands would come out to see him preach, many of them because they wanted to see him do a miracle, many of them because they wanted, to, they wanted, they wanted free food. He was going to multiply food out of nowhere, and they were going to get a free lunch. Or maybe they'd get a free healing. Or maybe they'd hear a cold thing, but, but he knew that the majority of those that were coming out didn't want to follow him. They just wanted to see him. And so he spoke the kingdom in riddles because if you really wanted to know what was on God's heart, he'd lay it out to you like this. And what I've learned about the kingdom of God is that most of the principles of the kingdom of heaven don't operate in the world that we live in. And they are anti-American and they are anti-culture and they are anti-things. Yet I love things that are not kingdom. And I'm trying to untake my heart off of things that I've learned. And so if you would, stepping into this mentality, which is good for us, requires us to understand that it's a different world that we're being born again into. When you're being born again, you're being born again into the spirit, John the Baptist said in John chapter 3. This born again experience 
is if you are a Stranger Things fan, it's a lot like stepping into the Upside Down, right? If you are a Chronicles of Narnia fan, it's like stepping into the wardrobe. If you are a, if you're a Matrix fan, it's like getting unplugged. Uh, there is a lot of things that we have learned that is not truth. And we value things the way this culture operates because we have learned how to prosper or do well based on the calculations that we've learned that operate on this earth. But the kingdom of heaven is not operating on these same principles. Okay, so, so the, 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 the finances of heaven or um, the, the, the culture of heaven largely is love. And that's why the two greatest commandments is to love him and love others. And it's also largely about eternity, not momentary value. But we get stuck in, in, in money and we get stuck in the moment and oftentimes we'll become a prisoner of that moment and of that momentary value. And with that being said, I'm going to try to figure out and unpack this as we step out uh, into the upside down or into the whatever you have it. Uh, we're talking about a culture that operates under different rules and different principles. That makes sense, Elio? Sweet. This is a tough one. My first point that I see when I look at this passage, um, there's a lot of things that stand out to me. Um, I think I'm the guy who worked all day. I don't know why that guy stands out so much. I don't know why I'm bothered so much that other people didn't do as much as me, but they, they got paid. So for whatever reason, maybe you see it differently, but I think you're supposed to be the guy that worked all day long and got robbed. So that's the lens that I'm talking about this with. But the overarching theme that I see is love. And I, want, I believe that God wants us to know that God's love is extravagant. Rather than, looking, uh, rather than look at the unhappiness of the first worker, let's rather look at what he did for the last. Can you imagine the impression that the dude that showed up at the end of the day or only had to work two hours that received all of this income, how much he really liked that business? How much he really liked those vineyards. How much he really wanted to come back the next day. Are you hiring tomorrow? Because I know where I'll be at the marketplace at three in the afternoon. That guy loved the owner of the vineyard. And I think that somehow we're stuck in the mindset of the first guy. Because that's where we are. The owner of the vineyard says this in Matthew chapter 20 verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I want to do with what belongs to me? I think it's interesting. It's almost like God's asking permission to bless someone else. So I don't know why, if I'm being honest, uh, I do this very thing. I don't like it being done, but I do it. Let me give you an example. Uh, I don't know why, but I'm hardest on my firstborn son. I expect him to clean I expect him to have his chores done. I expect him to have his homework done. I expect him to help me with the, 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 the garage and cutting the grass. And he's got to have all these things. Uh, he's got to have all of his baseball gear loaded up into my truck when we're ready to go. But my girls, eh, I don't know why. They're just perfect. They don't really have chores around the house. I'll ask him to help me and they'll go off and watch television and I'll do it for them. Something about the firstborn, the responsibility that falls on them, it's just harder. A lot of times you'll see that with firstborns, they have a harder work ethic. 
They, they, they have more responsibility. They just, and, and there was an expectation that was put on them that wasn't fair. But at the end of the day, I'll tell them, look, if we get all these chores done, I'll take you guys out for ice cream. Anyone else ever say this before? I say it. If we all do this, right. And so we all get going. This is what we're going to do. Break. My son goes to work because he knows if he doesn't, I'll whoop him. And the girls sneak off to the bathroom for a 45-minute trip to do what? I don't know. All the work got done, and we're all going to ice cream, and everyone gets paid. But I don't like it when I see you get paid more than me. I don't like it when I recognize that you got promoted, and I didn't. I don't like it when you got new shoes or you've got hair or you've got, uh, I don't know, you fill in the blank. There's a lot of things that we get jealous of, especially in materialistic things, finances. These are things that we work hard, that we want desperately to have, that when others have it and we don't, it, it cuts at us. But why don't we celebrate the reality that what's really happening is that God is blessing others because he is a God of love. He is a God that is extravagantly desires to make sure that his kids, whether they deserve it or not, that he loves them, that he's with them. So the reality is, is that I I do want you to be blessed and I need blessing, but it's hard for me to receive grace because I'm stuck in a mindset that like, I just, wait, let me, let me make sure you understand why I don't like grace. Something in me is still trying to earn God's love. Something in me is still trying to say, when I, when I get angry and lose my temper, I don't want to come back to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. I wait until I'm Christian enough to apologize. Until I've prayed or done some kind of outreach or been great to my kids or I've done something. I want to, I want to be great before I ask for forgiveness. But this story is about those that did not deserve yet received. It's about God pouring out his love on us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's important that we understand that what he's talking about really isn't about money at all, but when we see God's blessing or materialism or wealth or good looks or other things, we clam up inside with frustration instead of celebration. Why? And I think that it really just shows that we yet don't have God's heart. We've not yet unlocked this love in such a way that we want others to be blessed. Remember, the scripture says that it's his loving kindness that leads others to to repentance. So in other words, if God is good in your life, and you see it and you recognize it, you're going to want more of that goodness. Why wouldn't I want you to receive more, to get paid, to be blessed, to get promoted? I want you to celebrate. I want God to move in your life. I want God to move in your family. I want God to move in your... Maybe God is only talking to your pastor in this passage, but I don't like reading this verse. And I don't know why I don't like it. So while we were, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, he says, For while we were still weak, at the, time, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
for the one for one who will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person, uh, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. He died for us. And I believe that this passage is really trying to show God's extravagant love that he is giving to those who are not yet under the understanding of something that they deserve. Remember, when you catch a fish, you clean it after you catch it. But there is a standard in the church that we want people to operate in. And if you're not operating in this standard, we don't want you to become a Christian. And so something is happening that's kind of weird where we're making it harder for people to receive God's blessing, to receive God's loving kindness, to receive God's mercy, because we don't want them to receive it until they've done the same amount of work that we've done. And so what if, let me just ask you, what if? What if the worker who worked the whole day got to decide the wage of the others? Would they feel the loving kindness of the owner? Probably not. And since we're that worker in the field, don't we want others to just know the goodness and the mercy and the, let's not put the requirement on them that he's putting on us until they actually decide, I want to work here. Now, when you, I just want you to know that today you showed up at three, but tomorrow, Jack, you're showing up at eight. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and uh, all right, I mean, that just makes sense. I just see it. I was like, you know what? I was, I was right here just in the, in the second service, and I was thinking, you know, one of the things that makes me, that makes me think it's funny about this passage is the guy who worked the full day, if you were to take this story back three weeks ago, he probably was the guy who showed up at the end of the day. But we get stuck in the moment, forgetting what God did, now putting new demands on what God is supposed to do. I like that one. All right, cool. Uh, I'm, I am officially one-tenth through the sermon, so I'm going to start moving a little faster. My, my first point is that God's love is extravagant, and it's extravagant for me, and it's extravagant for you, and that he loves us while we're sinners, not after we're done sinning. Okay? You catch that? All right, that's scripture, so if you don't like it, you can um, you can talk it up with him. Point two, the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, this is the statement at the end of the passage where God is really trying to say like, hey, isn't it, like, can I do what I want with my money? And then he ends with like this tag, first will be last and the last will be first. And what's really funny about Christians, if I'm honest, like I have never quoted this passage, this verse outside of a potluck line. You know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been in a church potluck, when you get to the verse of the line, you love to tell the guy at the end of the line, don't worry, brother. One day you'll be first and I'll be last. But today I get to pick of whose mac and cheese I want first. And, uh, and it's real. Uh, and so, but the guy at the end of the line's like, yeah, it's okay, man. You know, one day it's going to be me and you're going to be, uh, I'm trying to unpack what this really means. And, uh, I, I, I what I realize is that, um, Men measure their success on wealth and money and success. But when this passage is happening, he's trying to like explain this kingdom perspective that like where you're at in the way you the currency of earth is not the currency of heaven. Currency of heaven is going to be about eternity and it's going to be about love. And if this guy in the front of the line 
could love the neighbor in the back of the line, he'd recognize how important it is that they got blessed. First will be last and the last will be first. I'm going to read you a quote that someone sent me last night and then I'll, I'll, I'll say, it says, when the Lord gives grace and blessings to others, it's not kindness to them. It's in, it, when the Lord gives grace and blessings to others, it is kindness to them and not injustice to us. I thought that was really rad and I'm going to quote William Church on that one because that was pretty good. And William, thank you, brother, wherever you're at. Love you, bud. Um, so um, the first will be last and the last will be first. What do we deserve? Do, do you deserve, like, um, the blessing in your life? I was just thinking about being in the greatest country in the world. Think about this for a second. If you're a teacher in America, you get paid, I don't know, $40,000, hopefully. Maybe not that much. And, um, and, and you probably don't like that. Move to Nicaragua and be a teacher. I love my pay in America all of a sudden. Think about like the same job you work here. You go anywhere else in the world. You ain't getting this. You're not, it's not, not, not. we're rich. But we don't see it that way. It's always, we're always behind the eight ball. Because we live in front of commercials and poster boards trying to put in front of us that you don't have this one thing that will fulfill you. And it's all wrong. It's all gross. The only thing that will fulfill us is the Lord, right? So I'm looking at this passage, and the first will be last, and the last will be first. And um, he's really talking to the brother, in the, the, the first worker in this story. And so as I've been showing you guys the last couple weeks, um, that all of these parables, the majority of them just repeat. Now, they don't Again, remember when he's talking to the thousands of people that are that are there. It's it's not because he there's thousands of people that are there. It's most he knows most of them aren't listening, so he's not saying the story uh, again to try to um, really get you to understand. He, he knows most of you guys have heard this before. You've heard this before. You've heard this before. So you've heard this passage in multiple weeks here. Check this out. The worker in the vineyard that's upset that the others got blessed is us. It's the same parable of the parable of the son, the lost son, who wasted everything he had, and the father welcomed him back and put a robe around him, and his brother goes, are you seriously going to do that for that person? Now, I've seen this a lot in church world, I've even seen it at the Way Community Church, believe it or not, where someone comes in who is not right with God or has fallen away, and we want to put on them some kind of crazy standard until God moves in their life. And it's really important that we understand that though we have standards in our church, we should never get in the way of the Father's love for his sons and daughters. In fact, we want to be the loudest people to promote God's grace and mercy and acceptance and love and passion. And for whatever reason, we want to put this standard on them and say, whoa, 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 stay outside. Stop the music. That cow, no, 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 don't you kill Betsy. We're not going to celebrate this guy until, until they start tithing until they start dressing more like us, until they start talking like this, until they start like towing the line, 
Then we'll have a party for him. That's the story of the prodigal son. It's also the same story of the rich man and Lazarus. The story of the prodigal son is found in Luke chapter 15. And it's also in Luke chapter 16. It's the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus is a story about a rich man who had everything this whole life and a poor man who had nothing. And in the day of Christ, the rich man found himself in eternity in hell and the poor man found eternity in heaven. Now, this story, the, the parable of the lost son has nothing to do with money. This story, the worker in the vineyard, has nothing to do with money. And the parable of the rich man and Lazarus has nothing to do with money. He uses the story of money because you care about money and it frustrates the tar out of you. And he doesn't want you to love money. He wants you to love love, generosity, grace, mercy. This is the currency of heaven. So he uses stories to frustrate you so that you untie your heart from the stuff that's tying us down to this earth. Now watch this. The, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, let's take away money. What we actually see is that one person had life exactly the way he wanted it and squandered it. And one person didn't have luxuries or comfort, but found it in Christ and then found it for an eternity. And the guy who knew what he knew, what he knew, what he knew, got nothing. Let me say it to you this way. This story is actually not about um, a worker in a vineyard. The story is about Israel. The story is about a, a nation that has always been the firstborn, that has always known truth, that has always known what's right, that has always been protected and comforted in here. And when the Lord decides that he wants to move in the Samaritans, no, 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 you can't, you can't do it. They're not as, as righteous as us. They don't come to church as often. They don't tithe as often. They, they, they're not kind like other, can't move in them. What about the Gentiles? No, 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 no. They're uncircumcised until they all get in a line and circumcise the whole family. Then they can't, they can't do it. See how hard the Jews made it? for unbelievers to actually become a believer. And the whole concept is that it's important for you to know you're the worker that came at three o'clock, not the one that's been here all day. We were grafted in and we didn't deserve the fact that we are now believers and God decided to pour his love out on us. His love was actually specifically for the Jews and he gave us an opportunity to become sons and daughters. Do you want to work in my vineyard? Let me just pause there for a second. I'm going to come right back to that. And that's why I'm so thankful for all of you that came out yesterday and worked in the vineyard called, the, called Lakeland. And we went out there and loved the lost. And some of you hugged on homeless people that to others is smelly and in the way and standing in publics. And like, I need to go into my extravagant place to get food. And this smelly person is outside and like in my way. And I love that you guys put yourself in way and love that person. I love that you guys went out there and played with kids and got wet and got dirty. And some of you went and you just loved people that you wouldn't have normally loved. And I, I thank you for that. This really, this gospel is about us recognizing that there's a lot of people that haven't worked as much as us. So let's say now that you aren't Israel, you are the guy who worked there. Maybe you were born in the church. Maybe your parents were in ministry or grandparents were in ministry. Or maybe as long as you've known the gospel, you've always just been a believer. Do you have an expectation that others 
are going to know, act, talk, think, and do, and be as godly as you before they ever experience God's mercy? Because what if they experience you before they experience God? Do you exemplify grace, mercy, and generosity? That's what this thing called church is about. We're all welcome. Yes, there's a standard. And tomorrow we're going to work. And if you're a believer, and the next time we do Serve Lakeland, I expect you to come. Because we have a responsibility to the gospel. There are people out there that are dying and going to hell and won't know the gospel unless we get off our lazy butts in our comfortable seats and take the gospel to them. We are not allowed to hold this news to ourselves. We have work to do. To those of you that don't know the Lord, you're welcome to just experience the grace of God. You can just come and be blessed. The longer God's blessing you, the more you're going to realize he's calling you to a higher standard. I want you to change this thing. I don't need you to change everything. I want you to change this thing right here, though. Hey, the way you talk to that person, mm-mm, not no more, Jack. That, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know it, too? I don't like it, but I love it because when I obey, I get more of it. Um, all right, the workers in the vineyard. I don't like it. I don't like it. Here we go. Uh, the first will be last. And so, so we're Israel, and I think it's our job to make sure that others know um, the grace and the mercy of God. I, I wrote a, a note in here, and uh, I'm going to say this. Man, all right, yeah, I have to keep going. I'm halfway through my sermon here. Um, I wrote this on there, and it said it's not about you. Uh, in Luke 15, it's, it's about the lost coin, not the nine that we had. It's, it's, it's about the, the, the lost sheep, not about the 99 that we had. It's about the lost son, not about the ones that stayed back. And I think oftentimes we're so cozy in the church that we aren't willing to give up our seat for someone who isn't as Christian as us. But I want to make sure you, we create a culture here where it's more about those that are coming in for the first time, that it's important that they experience God and they experience kindness and they experience generosity and they experience a place of love and hope. And does this make sense? Yeah. Because I see that in scripture, you know? All right, so uh, the first point was, I'm just gonna skip a whole lot of stuff here. And third, the first point was about um, God's love. And the second point, was about something good. It was the first will be last and the last will be first. And uh, the thing, the last thing is I think that this whole story is really about salvation. I think this whole story is really about like the fact that there's nothing that you did to deserve God to move in your life. And although I try to clean myself up for God to love me, he doesn't love me when I'm clean. He loves me as I am. That's what's weird about the love of God. It doesn't really make sense to me. I want to like show God, like, hey, God, I went to serve Lakeland yesterday. I'm more Christian than everyone else in my church. And he's like, nope. You're only Christian because I'm in your life. So I want you to know, you may have never done anything for Jesus. But you look at him, and he looks at you, his heart melts. God wants to move in your life. And the only thing you have to do is let him in. 
and he'll start cleaning things up. I don't, I can't earn my salvation, but I want to. I want to work super long so that I can be more Christian and, and do all these things. But the reality is, is that I am only a believer because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read you this uh, verse and I'll wrap it up. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8 says this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, because of the great love that he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ by the grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast about it. You know what I hear in this passage? It's because of God's great love that he has towards us so that he can show the world how much he's blessed you. Anything that's in your life is really there so that you can let the world know that God loves you. And so if you're looking at yourself that there's some kind of lack or deficiency, I, I, I'm, I'm, my prayer is that you find breakthrough for that because you are blessed. It's cool when you hang out with someone who has a disability or a handicap and you realize, man, I'm, I wasn't in a car accident this week. Mostly everything's working. I don't have everything where I want it to be or, or, or how I want it to be, but man, I'm, I don't deserve what I have. I definitely don't deserve to, to know what love is because I've been loved by the Father. I don't know how long you've been working in the vineyard. Um, I believe this passage is designed to use money to bother you. Because we think it's unfair that others are being blessed, but it's actually unfair that you're being blessed. And it's unfair that God decided to move in this room today. It's unfair that God received our worship. It's unfair that God is cleansing our hearts or promising you that he'll be with you tomorrow. There's a lot of other people that are way cooler and better people than you that don't know the Lord and may stay and die and go to hell. It's not fair that I have a relationship with Christ. I don't like this sermon, and I wish I could do a different one. I waited 13 weeks to put this on at the end so that I can make sure you guys know that the currency of heaven has nothing to do with money. The problem with our life is our life has a lot to do with money. I want to see God move in your life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? More than anything, I want to see you know that Jesus loves you and he died for you while you were yet a sinner. More than anything, I want you to understand that we don't deserve a relationship with the Lord, but he desperately wants to be in relationship with you. 
more than anything, I want you to know that the illustration of the workers in the vineyard is that God has a plan for your life and he has work for you to do, work that's significant and work that'll impact eternity. And if you're here today and you're, you don't have a relationship with God or you don't have purpose, I want you to know that he is your purpose. And when you surrender your life to him, you let him lead you and give you direction. You'll see that assignment in so many people around you.